From the corner of Bay and Dundas in downtown Toronto, this is Like Nobody's Business, a podcast of thought leadership and business innovation. I'm your host, Nadine Habib. The sports world was one of the earliest industries to be impacted by COVID-19. Within days, major sporting events were postponed, leagues had to suspend seasons, and those working in sport business had to make rapid decisions in a way never seen before. On today's episode, we feature a panel discussion between sport business executives and Sherry Bradish, professor of marketing management at the Ted Rogers School of Management. The panelists discuss how they had to change their strategies for fan engagement, how their brands had to pivot to a digital focus, and the lessons they're taking away from this experience. Brian Cooper of MKTG Canada, Stuart Smith of Adidas, and Allison Walker of Overactive Media Group talk about how COVID-19 has impacted the marketing, retail, and esports space. Jordan Vader of MLSC and Bart Websley of Sportsnet discuss brand management, broadcasting sports, and the transition to working from home. Take a listen. So just really, if you could give us a, a personal check-in with how you're doing and, and how your business looks and feels different right now. So Brian, can we start with you? Sure. Uh, you know, the business is uh, mainly based on team play and mass gatherings. And as a result of this pandemic, uh, there is no team play, there is no mass gatherings. Yet at the same time, there are long-term contracts that involve IP rights and athletes endorsements, uh, as well as uh, promotional contesting and all the other elements that are related to an overall sponsorship. Yet in many cases, they really can't do anything uh, related to the brand exposure around team performance. What they can do uh, is utilize their association, uh, both from the past uh, and, and the present, uh, to put out different content and messaging, a lot of it digital. So Scotiabank this past uh, weekend came out with 24-7, which was uh, uh, how hockey had impacted uh, different families and different communities across the country. And it was uh, produced by Canada, as they said. So the messaging was, you know, Scotiabank, still your community-minded bank, uh, and using footage from something that they had in the can previously. And, you know, and, and Stu will talk about Adidas doing the Terry Fox run and uh, without having a run, but raising funds to do stuff like that. So I think a lot of our clients are asking us, where do we go here? What are, what's the, uh, uh, the status of our existing contracts uh, with properties like MLSNE and Jordan Vader, uh, who, who can talk about it later on? Are, you know, are we gonna get the rest of uh, our regular season brand exposure and the rights that we paid for? You know, how do we go forward from here? What does the next season look like? There, there's a lot of uncertainty. Uh, and I think everyone has taken the attitude of, okay, let's wait and see. Not everybody jumped on this and said, you know, we need to get out there because you have to be very sensitive to the times. You have to be very sensitive to, uh, to the main uh, point of this, that everyone's healthy and we're getting through this together. Uh, so I think, you know, while we may have pivoted, I think we've all pivoted slowly. Uh, because of the sensitivity of the issue itself. Perfect. Thank you, Brian. Stuart, I'll go to you. How, um, and, and Brian just indicated some of the things you're doing, but how 
from a sporting goods um, perspective and, and as a large retailer in this country, if you can speak to some of the, the challenges and, and new normal for you over the last couple of months. Sure. Well, I can start with, uh, I can honestly say that I feel like I'm getting an MBA over the last eight weeks. Um, being a global organization and um, dealing with different challenges and, and making really fast decisions um, has been actually invigorating and because uh, being such a large corporation we traditionally move really really slow and we say we want to be fast and this has forced us to be fast so um, it's been kind of cool actually um, I feel even more connected to my team and my North American counterparts than I ever have um, because it's forced us to make decisions really quickly um, in my world we are really cognizant of not, not making any short-term decisions based on what we assume will be consumer behavior. Um, digital is by far number one, so anybody out there, my advice would be anything digital is absolutely a place to be. Um, but as far as consumers coming back, um, back to uh, bricks and mortar stores, uh, the next couple of months is gonna be phase one, we're not sure what they're gonna do. Then back to school, traditionally a retail milestone for us. What, how are they going to act there? And then going into holidays. So we're really seeing what consumers are going to do. Uh, from a tactical standpoint, um, in, uh, in the brand world, we have product launches all year long. We've had to completely rephase our product launches uh, because we have a, a massive backload of inventory, uh, both in our stores and ours, also our partners like Foot Locker and Sportcheck and uh, places like that. We're also dealing with cash flow. If you don't have any cash coming in, you got to manage your cash out. So we've been really proactive in managing our MWB. And then as Brian mentioned earlier, when you have little to no MWB to spend at this current time, you need to be really creative on how you launch things like Terry Fox, uh, where we really want to donate a, a lot of money back. At the same time, you can't lose your brand heat. So how do you get brand heat out there when you can't use your traditional uh, vehicles? We have really put, um, you know, our sponsorships with our ambassadors um, and our athletes, they've never worked harder for us. Uh, you know, really helping us get the, get the word out there. Um, and at the same time in the background, the brand is working on plays to keep us top of mind. We launched Home Team. We're gonna be launching Ready for Sport coming down the pipe. And I presented a brand calendar today around our hype drops, which would include Yeezy and Pharrell and all those. And our hype calendar is unbelievable through the balance of the year. So lots of, lots of stuff going on in the background. And um, really, I've been in the business for 25 years and I have learned a ton in the last eight weeks. It's pretty cool. Well, thank you, Stuart. I have a 12-year-old, and um, I have purchased a few of those shoes, so I'm feeling that pain, that pinpoint on the other side. We'll talk offline. Um, Allison, how, can you talk a little bit about uh, your perspective and, and how things are um, uh, with Overactive in, in the esports industry in general? Absolutely. Um, well, building on what Brian and Stu started to say, because I think there are a lot of themes that we all share, uh, for us at Overactive, uh, we're in the franchise team business. Um, dare I compare us to Jordan Vader's company that has franchise teams. We are, of course, in esports native to digital. So on the one hand, we've been very lucky because we've been able to continue competition, match play, 
engaging, of course, our fans and our partners in all of that. Uh, so for that, it's, uh, it's certainly fortuitous and allows us to keep going. On the other hand, um, the model for us is building audiences, building communities and bringing teams to regional locations. And part of that, of course, is to do that in person. So to host significant live events, live events that most folks in our region, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, wouldn't have had an opportunity to experience before a, a major live esports event. Uh, we had three events planned for this year, one at Mattamy, of course, uh, Ryerson's facility. Uh, so we've had to pivot in many ways, um, both from a business model standpoint and and to ensure that we're continuing to engage those fans and build those communities. When we came together, I joined a little bit after those that started this organization. We talk all the time about our responsibility and, and position as leaders to create not only an industry and team brands, but an audience. Uh, the audience is obviously there. Everybody knows uh, gamers are, are certainly at the forefront these days. Um, but we, it's our job to engage those and bring them together and drive value back to our partners. So, so luckily we've been able to pivot, uh, to Brian's point. We already were in the, the content production business, the influencer business. Uh, we've been able to pivot our partner assets to digital. Uh, our leagues have been very cooperative in that way. So, um, in that sense, there's been a pivot, but we've also been fortuitous. I'll just add that, you know, what's interesting, you hear a lot about professional sports players, not being able to play sports or even practice in many cases, our esports pros are playing right now. And they're playing currently our two teams in Toronto. We have five teams globally. Our two teams in Toronto are in their own condos playing competitive esports with all of the pressure that comes with competitive play. And that comes with a whole host of other challenges that uh, certainly our team is very focused on ensuring we can support them, the, the coaches, the support staff, and for all the reasons you just mentioned, Sherry, we all have our personal challenges. They, they're having to play through it. So, so there's that. And I'll just, I'll end by saying um, from a business model standpoint, one of the things that I think we did well as a newer company is make some tough decisions early on to Stu's point. Uh, one of the things that has been, I'll call the silver lining is we've all learned to make really fast decisions under a lot of pressure and uh, we, we made really quick, difficult decisions to ensure that we're set up for success in the long term. And I'm happy about that. And, and there's a lot of innovation happening with our team in terms of how we keep going and come out of this on top, frankly. We don't want this all to sort of end and then start to get to work. So we're busy doing all that so that we smoothly transition out of this, whatever that looks like. Perfect. Well, we can come back to that. And I see um, one of your colleagues um, Mr. Chris Overholt is on the phone as well. So welcome, Chris. And, Indeed, uh, a colleague. Welcome. Allison, there's many colleagues on the phone. So thank you. You're on the call. Um, Jordan, uh, many questions, I'm sure, and lots happening at a complicated, large, complex organization like MLSE. If you're able to give us a little bit of a snapshot into perhaps your, your world and your role, and then maybe what you can share, some of the things perhaps... Um, that are, are slipping out that we hear they're working on at MLSE? That's an open-ended question. Uh, thanks, Sherry. Fair enough. I mean, I'll echo a lot of the sentiment shared already, but I'll, I'll share a bit more about my personal experience first and, and how we kind of got about, you know, to, to where we are today. And, and I'd say our immediate focus was on like three particular areas. First was kind of making sense of what working from home meant and kind of the impact that would have on our people. 
um, you know, kind of second phase was, you know, uh, connecting with our, our partners and, and, and checking on, on their personal, you know, uh, situations and, and, and health and, 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 and their overall wellness. And, and the third was we pointed to community. And uh, I'd say first from, a, from an employee perspective, um, nobody's ever experienced anything like this before. We've got a really young team. We've got a big team. We've got people that are living in different countries. We have people that are living thousands of miles away from home. We have some people that are living in their own. How are people managing kind of given the, the new impending pressure and the unknown of this situation? Uh, from a partnership perspective, uh, we have the, the, the unique opportunity of working with so many of our partner brands that live in the city that we have the opportunity to, to, to meet with at, at their offices or ours or over lunch or at games. And that opportunity obviously changed. And, you know, to, to, to Coop's point before is while our games uh, stopped, uh, we kind of inflected and realized that, um, that our facilities had an opportunity, you know, to continue to take on meaning and still to serve as kind of Canada's town hall or the city's town hall. And one of the first things that we did was um, we started a community food program. And uh, I imagine a number of you have kind of heard of, you know, heard, heard a little bit about what we've done. And I think, you know, as, you know, as we started to figure out the role that we were going to play, not only for our partners, but, you know, for the, you know, for the city, it was figuring out how do we work with provincial government? How do we work with the city of Toronto? And how do we assess the biggest need within the city at this point? And what role can we play? And working with Scotiabank and Demo, Bell and Rogers, and a handful of other partners that have supported the program, I think we were really able to step up uh, and demonstrate the role that our facilities can play in the community. Um, and then the, the next phase was, was really, in addition to the various you know, pivots and scenarios that many of you have talked about, was um, engagement remains high on our digital and social channels. Passion and avidity for our teams ultimately is unchanged. We don't have the live games as that source of connectivity, but what else do we have? And, you know, our digital and social channels, um, you know, take, took on an even heightened sense of importance, um, you know, in the, in, the, in the days and weeks, um, you know, uh, since this thing originated. And uh, we've really tried to accelerate, you know, what our, what our planning is going to be, not only for the short term, but the long term. So what is hospitality that we counted on to be at the arena what does that look like virtually and at home? Uh, what do activations look like when they come to your door? Uber Eats with, you know, with your stadium popcorn and hot dog that comes to your house. Digital coupons and premium or, or premium items that are delivered to your door. Um, Driving experiences, you know, maybe. So uh, these are the kind of things that we've been thinking about over the, you know, the last several weeks and months. And, you know, one of the, you know, uh, to answer the, 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 you know, the second part of your question is, we're unsure of what the next, you know, uh, few weeks bring. Uh, obviously, we're we're enthused by the NHL's, you know, announcement yesterday and 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 proposal of what it would look like when we come back. Uh, we're hopeful that all of our teams are on the, you know, ice court, you know, pitch and football field, you know, at some point this summer, but we don't know. So we're we're planning for a whole bunch of different scenarios, trying to get as creative as we possibly can uh, to anticipate uh, a whole variety of of, uh, of different potential, you know, plans, and um, you know, excited to get a little clarity that we can. Uh, share with all the fans of our teams and ultimately with our partners. Perfect. And I think we have some questions, as you know, coming up related to digital and the, the digital platform. So we'll come back to you because I'm sure the fan experience is, is, is another important top of mind experience for you folks. So I think you, we will now transition to BART. I went alphabetically this um, go around. Um, and I don't know if we can lead or ask you or pry too much about the announcement yesterday with the NHL, but I'm sure it's on other folks' minds. 
So um, maybe just again, same to you, a little bit about life in your world. And um, I know everyone's asking about hockey. So, so at some point we are going to have to ask you about it. So however you want to tackle that question. Well, thanks, Sherry. Uh, maybe I'll start with uh, um, what happened back around March 11th. I mean, a sports network without live sports, um, there's industries that have been hit harder. I, you know, airlines come to mind and some others, but not too many had the impact that sports networks had. So it's, uh, it was an interesting challenge. And I'll pick up a little bit on what the Dean said. I mean, you, we could have chosen just basically hunker down and, and just weather the storm, but we chose actually to use it, uh, the period to experiment is probably the word I, I choose. You, you may have noticed some of our digital experimentation. We're a fairly traditional media company and we talk a big game and we're trying hard, but you know, when you're trying to manage live events, there's a lot going on during the day. Um, the chance to do some really innovative and, and intellectually challenging things and challenge your people to do things differently. It's hard. It's really hard. Um, this has been a period where we have had a lot of freedom to say to people, you can actually dedicate resource to that. You can dedicate mind share. You can dedicate some money. And so we've, we've used it to experiment. We've seen some things, but I also have been happy to be able to identify gaps in our business. So, uh, you know, the things that we've done well, you can see it, but sometimes you may or may not see the same things that we don't do well. And and it's caused us to be honest with ourselves, what we're, what we're good at, what we're not good at, and where we need to invest. So that's been a real positive, I would say. Second one is the impact on the competitive environment. For us, you know, one of the big impacts over the last couple of years has been the uh, the launch of some global platforms that compete with for rights with us. And uh, it's had a real impact. We lost... Uh, Premier League Soccer to uh, to an international group, but this whole pandemic has caused everybody to sort of pause and go, "What's our ability to pay? What's the world going to look like? What what is the digital world? What does the traditional world look like?" So it's been an interesting transition there. And the third one I'd probably highlight would be our people, a bit like Jordan. Um, it was a shock to the system for us uh, to work from home. We, we are not a business. When you talk about control rooms and trucks and salespeople, uh, you know, it's a very social environment. It's a very tight environment. Uh, working from home was a shock. And, and beyond the shock to the system, mental health is a big focus for us. Um, it's, it's one of those things we're starting to talk about more as a society, but I have seen it personally in our group. The days are long. Um, they're stressful with family commitments and work commitments and just getting a break from Zoom calls and email is very tough. So we've tried to work on our employment brand a lot during this. Um, you may have noticed that Rogers took a leadership position in saying we're going to protect incomes through first through April, then through May. And now we're not, we've said we're not having layoffs through the summer in the media division. So it's been incredibly positive that way. And that's, that's what we're trying to do in terms of focusing on how do we come out of this strong? And a big part of that is taking care of our people. Good. Uh, we, will we come back to we'll the broadcasting back. NHL Please. or what do you want to do? I don't want to monopolize the time. I'm happy to talk about hockey anytime you want. You want me to uh, go well, now? I yes. I think it's, I think it's, it's, it's a question on folks' mind. Go ahead, Brian. No, I'm saying, Bart, please tell us all the confidential details. <laughs> no one on this call is going to spill anything. Well, you know, everybody thinks we were, we got this inside track on everything. I think Jordan could probably back it up. Um, there's, a, there's a lot going on at the leagues. And I think my view is they're being pretty honest with the public in that they really don't know. They're like the rest of us. They, 
they've never been through this. They've been through lockouts and strikes where there's a defined period of time and there's an objective. This is out of everybody's control. So as Stuart said, you know, we're learning a lot in this short period. Um, and it's giving us an opportunity to reflect, but there is no master plan at the NBA right now. They have to, they're in a position where, you know, they often have, the leagues often have quite a bit of power, but they have to, every league has to work out a deal with players. And those deals are really complicated. Before you even get to a discussion of how are we going to produce games if our crews can't travel across the border, if our insurance doesn't cover our, the health care for our people down there, uh, and if we send somebody down to produce a game for two days in Dunedin, uh, if they come back to Canada, they got to quarantine for 14 days. So there's, it, there are layers upon layers, and I can honestly say we don't have it figured out. We spend a lot of time on calls with the leagues. They, they do a great job of sharing information with us to the extent they know it. But last, yesterday's example was a good, good example. Yesterday's announcement was a good example. Um, they announced some things, but there was a lot more that they didn't announce than they did announce. And it's not because they're hiding it. It's because they just don't know. Mm-hmm. And it has to be negotiated in a lot of cases, either with players, governments, local authorities, broadcasters. It's, it's a fun time to be involved. Unfortunately, there's a lot of money involved. So uh, it's high stakes poker. Yeah. Well, we can come back to some of those themes as well, too. Did you have a top take on to that, Brian? Or are you good? Well, I'm shocked. Uh... For $12 billion, that's your insider information? <laughs> <laughs> if they had it, I hope they give it to me. You knew that was coming. Have it. Oh, yeah. I was just going to add on to that. That What's so interesting, and we're finding it more and more across all sports, um, in esports, we're making decisions. We're launching an industry and launching a new business model around franchise, regional franchise teams and and nobody has the answers to Bart's point, uh, not the commissioners, not the, you know, the, the leaders of a massive publicly traded company like Activision Blizzard, nor the owners of the teams. And so we're working closely together and it's, it's a hard process because not every team, like in every league, agrees on the right way to move forward. Um, but we all need to be leaders in order to keep growing, in our case, a nascent industry. Um, and, and what it requires is, is exactly what Bart's talking about. I mean, we, we need live events to grow audiences regionally. And everybody knows where Vader owns his facility. You know, the, the fight for facilities next year, for venues, everything's getting pushed back. And nobody really wants to commit big money to put down a massive deposit that they don't know if they'll get back. And so the implications are, are large. And, and equally as important, our audiences on the esports side it starts with the grassroots. There are very vocal audiences across all matter of social channels, Discord, Twitch. Uh, you know, I can't imagine. Uh, I've also received an MBA and had to be a little bit more astute on different platforms because you need to know what's going on everywhere. But our, our fans and our audiences and our players are contributing to our decisions, as is the case for everybody on the call. But it, it definitely adds a very interesting dynamic because uh, certainly in the world I live in, we need to listen and we need to do things that make sense to the fans and the players. Yeah. You know what Thank I noticed? Uh, the, the, I realized the role that sport plays in our lives. You know, I've always been in the sports industry and, you know, you thought it was to me personally is important, but uh, when there is this void and you even see uh, some leaders in North America, that are saying, you know, sport will lead the way. It'll show that we're back to normal. 
uh, and, and conversations and just, you know, watching people are starved uh, to see competitive sports again. And uh, I think, you know, sponsors look at that, the broadcasters that are living on it. Uh, it's a significant integrated part of our everyday lives. And I think this really brought it to the forefront for me. I, I agree with that. In our world, it's about people actually getting back to sport physically. Um, so that's why the campaign that we're launching is called Ready for Sport, Ready for Getting Back to Sport. Um, I went out and played golf last weekend for the first time in, uh, well, a long time. But, um, you know, it was the first time in quite a long time I actually felt normal. Aside from all the protocols, getting on the first tee, once I was on the first tee, I felt normal for four hours. So um, I totally agree. And in our world, we're really thinking about kids getting back to sport, people getting back to sport and participation on top of loving sport and uh, consuming it. I just think that sport and music will lead the way, right or wrong, to mass gatherings. Uh, I think, you know, once someone puts on a really big concert and the exuberance of an invincibility of youth will go to and gather uh, similar to what we saw a little bit on this past weekend at Memorial Day gatherings in the States. I think, you know, that may be uh, the, the point of uh, ripping the Band-Aid off. Uh, and we may end up living with the consequences. I don't know where it's going. I don't think anybody knows where it's going. But once that happens, I think sport will follow as well. Right. And I think if we see some of the polls and the statistics, particularly the IMI numbers are quite favorable about sport and, and, and um, individuals coming back and fans coming back. It will be interesting to see uh, when the, the doors are open, what those numbers look like. Um, I think I'll go on to a couple of more of the themes if that works too with each of you. Um, I think just to transition from that first question, it's interesting. We had a conversation in our MBA class about, um, you know, what's going to happen in sport. And it's interesting if you look at the DNA and, and I'm, what I want to get to is everyone around the panel, everyone I've talked to has had such optimism and we're going to beat this and we're going to be more innovative. That really is the spirit and the history of sport business and sport marketing. If you look back through the ages. So it, it gives me and the students hope. Um, to look at uh, and, and the employment figures while we're still concerned about them in this country, and this is where I want to go specifically, um, everyone is working really hard to keep um, the output high through a pivot. So I wanted to ask you each of you could comment just a little bit, and we talked about this in the pre-Zoom um, pre call. Can you talk a little bit about how you see and feel the Canadian sport industry responding? And we always like to ask that question from a student perspective, because that's to where they're looking for their next career position and wanting to know really what's the landscape here strategically. So it can be an anecdote, it can just be a comment, but I just want to get your perspective on do we have any specific nuances to be aware of in this conversation to our industry here in Canada? So Allison, you can start. Uh, I have two different perspectives. One um, from the esports world, uh, a bit more generally, and then one from some of my extracurriculars. I would say that uh, we talk all the time in our shop, and those of you that know Chris Overholt would find this familiar about being continue to be, being leaders in our industry. Um, I alluded to it last time, but we're on numerous owners calls and um, we, we are developing an industry. We're developing an industry, we're developing process and protocols around players, 
you can imagine these young kids in some cases who are coming into huge contracts uh, and different than say hockey, soccer, basketball, where there are uh, there's there are grassroots programs. There are there are sort of etiquette set and uh, the expectations are sort of they build on you. These kids jump into it pretty quickly, and so the pressure is is immense. So so from our perspective, uh, from a Canadian perspective, there aren't that many professional esports teams, um, particularly in the world. I'm careful to say esports is quite a large community, which is truly the competitive play. Tyler Keenan, who leads our partnership group, he's out in 140 conversations, educating the marketplace around business models, assets for partners, and um, making sure everybody understands what this esports thing is. So, so on that sense, I would say leadership and continuing to drive the importance of business and, and partnership value is somewhere where we, we, we take that seriously. On the other side, and slightly more personally, I would say I sit on the board of women in sport and events, uh, a group, a chaptered organization. We are the only one in Canada. And we talk a lot about the impact of COVID on uh, working women, certainly at senior levels. Um, many people are going to make decisions about uh, how they take care of the home and family and whether family's older family or kids. And, um, you know, we're, we're really focused and Sherry and I have had conversations about this on ensuring that uh, we keep a network to parts point about mental health. We keep a network open and supportive around keeping people going through these times, keeping good people in our industry in our innovative industry. And uh, so for me, that's a very important piece of what we need to do in Canada, keep strong people and keep strong women um, you know, innovating and staying, staying in their, in their workplace and in their jobs in the sport and entertainment industry. Thank you, Allison. Anyone else want to comment about some specifics that they've seen or gleaned from the, is specific to the Canadian sport industry? I'm happy to jump in because I, I have a pretty strong view on this. <laughs> the, the, from a student perspective, um, I get asked this question a lot, like, how do I get into this industry? It's pretty, seems pretty small. It seems to be tough and it is, there's no, there's no doubting or you can't really debate that the, the, the media industry is very tough and the, being a Canadian media player against global players is tough, but I strongly believe it's a fantastic industry and it is never, no student should be dissuaded from going into it. As a matter of fact, you should be encouraged to go into it. If, if it is something you're passionate about, there's always room for really good people. And it's an industry that welcomes people that, innovate. And those are the people that get ahead. I just look in our shop and the people that stand out are the really good ones. You, you, it's pretty good meritocracy because you have the opportunity to stand out because of the opportunity for innovation. So if I was a student right now, I'd just look myself in the mirror and go, this is what I really want to do. And I can tell you this COVID thing has convinced me I don't want a real job because all the fun parts of my job are gone. I want them back. But when I get them back, you realize how great a job, a job in Canadian media can be. Yeah. Thank you, Byron. And, and I'll, I'll jump in. Please. Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in and share some more perspective. I mean, you know, um, what, I, what I would say is, while we don't have a long list of jobs that we're posting for today, uh, I think it's an incredible time to differentiate yourself. You know, to, to Bart's point, we're looking for innovation. We're looking for new ideas. And, and I think we'd be the first to admit that we don't have all of them. Uh, we've kind of contemplated a whole variety of different scenarios. We're all, you know, um, thinking on the fly and, 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 and trying to come up with a whole bunch of different solutions for a problem, you know, that we're still, you know, that, that we don't necessarily have the, you know, the, we're trying to find solutions for a problem we haven't fully identified yet. 
Uh, and I think there's a role for students and new entrants to the sports entertainment business uh, to assist. And uh, I'm all ears. I don't want to speak for the rest of the, you know, the, the panel and others here, but uh, always open to conversations, always looking for thought leadership, uh, always looking for those who have, you know, uh, who have demonstrated an understanding of the, you know, of the, of the surface issues that the business is facing uh, and, and how they can lead with ideas in which to help us solve them. So, um, you know, you know, what happens in you know in 90 days from now, um, we don't know, but but there's always going to be room for those uh, that have great ideas um, and are kind of forward thinking to you know address the problems that can help us anticipate you know uh, where we should be going. Thank you, Jordan. Yeah, from my side, um, we're we're a massive global brand, and although 2020 will be an interesting year, uh, we'll get back to growth. Uh, so as as far as getting back to growth, we need great people to continue to grow our business. Uh, we've had a fantastic trajectory and we expect that trajectory to come back. What is going to change is our channel mix is what we call it. And channel mix essentially means we sell to our wholesalers. We have our own bricks and mortar and we have digital. In this calendar year, we're seeing a huge focus on digital and we don't see that going away. We don't believe our mix of digital will far outpace wholesale because I think absolutely consumers still want to go to retail stores and have that experience, albeit the experience will be different. Um, but the digital focus is, is absolutely not going away. So I, I would recommend to anybody, uh, digital experience is hugely important. Whether it's digital uh, for e-commerce or digi um, digital partner commerce, which is where we partner with SportCheck to help them sell on their e-commerce, their .ca, or of course, brand marketing and brand comms. Uh, digital far away is conventional media right now. Um, so, um, I would recommend having digital in the back, back of your mind, but um, absolutely have confidence in, in our world, in the sporting goods world, in the big brand world. Um, we're getting back to growth and we are absolutely focused on getting back to growth. Um, as Allison said, we're learning a lot. 2020, I believe, will make us even better coming out the other side and that might sound optimistic, uh, but I'm living it day to day. We're making decisions that we've never made in the past. Um, and we will get better and we'll learn a ton. And 2021, uh, we were hoping to get back to 2019 type numbers. And then 2022, we're back to growth. So we're cautiously optimistic, but we're putting plans in place. And from an employment standpoint, there will no question be opportunities because our business model is not gonna change. Um, we make amazing product, we tell amazing stories, um, and we sell to consumers and we make consumers happy. And that, that's not gonna change. It's just where they're gonna buy it and how we tell the stories. Perfect. I just wanna echo, cause I, I didn't really address the student piece of that, Sherry, but uh, I, I echo what all of my peers have said. We are absolutely focused on growth. Um, obviously everybody has had to pivot, but um, we're in the business of producing content. We're in the business of driving value to sponsors. We're in the business of putting on live events when they come back. So we are, uh, I agree with that everybody said, keep going, keep building those networks as students, keep talking to all of us. There's going to be tremendous opportunity, uh, particularly because all of our businesses have huge digital aspects to them. And, and most of your students are so savvy in that, in that area. Perfect. Thank you. Um, maybe just a couple of other themes before we open it up, just sensitive to the time. Um, we've touched upon a little bit the changing consumer and the changing fan experience, and, and in particular noted on digital. Um, and there were questions earlier, and I think there are again some today, about 
and, and I'm probably going to start with you, Jordan, just so you know, um, talking about what are sports teams thinking about arena um, facilities, thinking about in terms of engaging fans outside of the arena experience and, um, and, and how, how has that accelerated some of this thinking to Bart's point, innovation is really accepted and embraced right now. So can you talk a little bit more about some things that you hear piloting, whether they're MLSE or not, um, around rethinking and really engaging the fan experience? Absolutely. I think, I think what this really done is forced us to accelerate a, a trend that was growing. And, and, and not to, to discount the 20,000 people that would, you know, pack Scotiabank Arena or BMO Field on any given, you know, uh, any given day. But we've spoken a lot, a lot, a lot more over the years and, and, and everyone on the phone, we all would have had a conversation with, you know, uh, about this is we've got 17 million Raptors fans across the country or 15 million Maple Leafs fans, you know, across, you know, Southern Ontario and parts of, of the country. And the true opportunity to capture through partnership is not only those fans inside the arena, but it's the scope of all those fans that are watching on television, all the fans that are engaging through our digital and social channels. And I think it's really forcing us to kind of accelerate those plans and the dependency of the experience, you know, that is, you know, solely for being at the, at the live game. Um, you know, we've done this analysis before, like a, a really large percentage of our fan base um, will never come to a live game. And, and, I, and I think this is really, you know, you know accelerating our, our plans and thinking around, you know, what that means. So, um, you know, what have we done over the last summer of years? Well, we've invested heavily in our app, you know, and, 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 and added utility, you know, to that app beyond, you know, using it as a navigation tool, you know, when you come to the game. So, um, you know, we've added gamification components and we've added, you know, the opportunity to purchase retail. Uh, we run a lot of our content, uh, sponsor uh, partner contests and promotions through the app. So, that's kind of really been our, you know, uh, our trend over the last number of years, and we've really accelerated. And I think as we, you know, as we move forward, we're thinking about, the, you know, the idea of what's that digital arena? And, and, I, and I talked uh, about a few of the things earlier, but, you know, some of the things that at least in the short term we might not be able to do or might not be able to do to the same extent that we could before, um, we're hoping to be able to do in the digital space. So, you know, heading into Bart's world in partnership with, you know, with Sportsnet, how do we think about, you know, different angles and different views? So if the courtside seat holder can't necessarily be in his courtside seat, well, what's that view and what's that experience now that they can get from home? Um, you know, we're, we're thinking about, um, uh, again, gamification and other sort of communication overlays, you know, that, you know, that are tied in the hours leading up to the broadcast or after the broadcast. Um, you know, Bart mentioned it a little earlier, virtual signage and other ways to kind of overlay, you know, forms of communication, you know, in and around the, you know, the live event itself. So, um, you know, we're, we've been thinking a lot about, um, you know, what that experience is, but I, but I don't think it's, it's something new or, or, uh, or a priority that came about, you know, uh, because of COVID, but I think it's really helped accelerate our plans and our need, you know, to find solutions and probably test things faster uh, than, we, uh, than we may have been ready to do in the past. Like Nobody's Business is a presentation of Ryerson University's Ted Rogers School of Management. For more information, visit ryerson.ca forward slash Ted Rogers School. Thank you for listening.